ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. You're a terrible person, Sam. <laughs> All right. We'll start the podcast with You're a Terrible Person, Sam. And if you haven't picked up, Sam is the media team. And yes. uh, he's hanging out with us today. Sam, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Oscar, welcome. Hey, Oscar. How you doing? He was biting my shoulder just a second ago, but. He seems to have calm, calmed himself now. Uh, we've got to keep him isolated from the other the other cat. Cool. I was about to say, Oscar is a cat, not just some random <laughs> dude in Sam's room Sam's biting on his shoulder. Friend. Yeah. Perched on my neck. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we kind of said that we were going to talk about the the break thing. So time off if no one has a reason. If someone has a, no reason to take time off, should they take time off anyway? But before we get there, do, 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 powerlifting controversy. Dude, we could make a whole fucking separate podcast yeah, just powerlifting, about powerlifting controversy. Um, probably not the conf- tr- controversy you think it is. We're going to talk about the bench press thing. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. That I was only, it was only brought to my attention not three or four hours ago when Sam was like, hey, have you heard about this thing? So Sam, why don't you explain it to the people? Yeah, so I mean, I haven't I haven't delved too far into it. I kind of had uh, Johnny Candido's video on it um, running in the background yesterday, uh, where he actually had another lifter who, apologies, I forget forget his name, but basically they're making the argument that uh, depending on your weight class should dictate the maximum legal grip width, because uh, they're basically saying that once you know, um, uh, like the maximum grip width is usually dominated by the light lightweight lifters 
paired with, you know, the, the wrist back um, position to lower ROM again with the giant arch as well. Um, so basically the point they were just trying to make is like if we limit it um, or if we bring it in for the lighter weight lifters and then basically the heavyweight lifters are allowed the maximum width grip, it basically means that the range of motion or something remains more consistent. Um, basically makes it, it probably makes it harder really for, for everyone involved, particularly judging, I'd say. Yeah, it seems like on the surface level an incredibly complex solution to a problem that doesn't actually exist. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like from, from a logical standpoint, it's not like it's dumb. Like a, a, a shorter person, someone smaller with smaller, shorter arms uh, taking the max legal width is theoretically wider than a bigger person with longer arms. The problem mm. is, is like, what do you do with the biomechanical outliers, the, you know, five foot four dude that weighs 60 kilos, but his arms are down to <clears throat> his knees, you know, like, or yeah. his arms are extremely short in comparison to the rest of his body. Like it, it makes sense on a surface level, but there's, there's so many areas within it that are just not going to work. And it then, raises the question of like, what do we do in the other lifts? What about ultra wide sumos? What about little people doing ultra wide sumos and barely moving the bar an inch off the floor to lock out? It's like, I don't know. When you're small, you need every advantage you get because you're naturally a little bit weaker anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. I, th I think there's like always an argument for, and there certainly should be an argument for like the rules of a sport evolving over time to reflect changes in the sport itself and things like that, you know, like every major sport goes through, through uh, like rule revisions and changes to the regulations. F1's always a good example. Like every few years they bring out like new aero rules and rules about the number of motors you can use in a season and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's all well and good until you get to this point where it is like, it's people who feel disadvantaged because they are incapable of doing a part of the sport for whatever reason, be it genetic or otherwise, uh, feeling like they're being ostracized slightly when actually it's just the counter to that, I think, is someone who's very good at exploiting the rules that are allowed within the thing. And I think that's part of any sport. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have no problem with overly wide you know, internally rotated grip positions with massive arches and tiny bench arms because it's super impressive to watch. Like, I, th I think that for yeah, me I'm is... Yeah, kind of the same. Yeah. Hmm. Um, he did He did touch on the whole sumo, uh, the sumo argument and why, why, why it was different. I don't quite remember what the point, the point was there. Um, but, yeah, no, I thought it was an interesting thing to bring up. But, but yeah, I, I think I also have a bias because I'm so sick of reading you know, on every impressive bench video that's done with a big arch and, you know, uh, there's just a slew of comments like, do it with a flat back and do it, you know, do this, do that. So, like, there's definitely that bias there that doesn't want to see those people happy ever. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought I'd, I'd, I wasn't sure if you guys had heard, had heard of it because I know he's quite a big name and he sort of got a bit of traction with his argument. Like lots of people are like, yeah, I, I agree with that. So, yeah, uh, I, I just, uh, I looked up the video then and this is classic us. There's a thing to discuss and we didn't actually watch the source material. So we're discussing it. Oh yeah. I, I read headlines and abstracts and that's it. <laughs> I like the real information happens in the headlines and the abstracts people. So, 
yeah, I, I'd be curious to hear his argument on the on the sumo thing, but I, I don't think there's much he can stand up. The, the hard the hard thing that he's doing is that he's talk, talking about like not manipulating equipment, but manipulating people, and people are uh, are all different shapes and sizes, and because of that, it's going to be really hard to find a uniform rule yeah. that doesn't exclude some people or disadvantage some people. In a yeah. very similar way, it's like um, it's like the whole formulas argument. Mm-hmm. Like there is, I think the only one I've seen that has any sort of backing to it looking like r- remotely fair is uh, Greg Knuckles, like allometric scaling, which kind of made sense um, as a like representative score versus other people of compa- of differing body weights. Mm. But all the sort of traditional formulas that exist generally have a bias towards one end of the spectrum or the other, or they have like an inflection point where it becomes sort of advantageous to be heavier or lighter um, because they're all imperfect systems. Cause you're trying to compare apples to oranges. Like for that's sure. the, that's ultimately the thing for me. I, I've never liked formulas. It's like the best solution we have to a shitty problem that probably shouldn't be a problem anyway. Like it should just be a case of this is a, a weight class based sport. And you can have your theoretical discussions about things. You know, how does this person in the 75s compare to this person in the 110s? But, you know, something like boxing that is a weight class sport, they have world championships and there's still debate across weight classes and stuff. But there's no thing that says, hey, we're going to take the score from this bout and compare it to the score from this bout. Like they're separate things. And I think uh, you're just going down a very dirty, murky rabbit hole. Uh, with things like trying to alter the grip with based on your body weight. And Mm. yeah, it's, it also opens the opportunity. Like people already, a powerlifting rule book is pretty extensive. Like there are quite a lot of rules and quite a lot of weird, obscure rules, quite Mm. a lot of rules that don't really mean anything and and don't really have a, a purpose that sort of stands up to today, I guess. Like, I mean, taking your thumb loops off is not a rule. The, the, the thumb loops thing is like related to how high the wrist wrap goes up. Right. So because it's part of the wrist wrap, it falls under that, that rule, but it's like the thumb loops not assisting anything. Yeah. It's not, it's yeah. not providing any sort of mechanical advantage. There's lots of stuff like that. So when you add one more layer, one more thing to it, it's like how much more uh, reason is there or how much more opportunities there going to be for, you know, a do good ref to screw things up by trying too hard or a, a regular good ref to miss something because there's an extra thing to try and pay attention to. Bench is already hard enough to ref. You're already watching about 4,000 things at the same time. Mm. And the more we can move the rules of the competition itself towards a uniform and objective measure of pass or fail, I think the better it's, it is as a sport because it removes mm. that subjectivity that comes from judging. And that's ultimately like part of any sport is human error in judging or refereeing or whatever it is. But the more clear cut and the more black and white those rules are, the less room there is for that human error and interpretation. And then you, what you end up with is a better product overall. Cause in reality, no one really gives a shit about bench press arches and grip widths because people just see a number and they go, Oh, that person's benching a lot. That's cool. Mm. Um, but you, end up in a situation where it is you have the ability to actually say like this is a standardized comp because we're all using this same set of rules which in most cases we are anyway they're just interpreted differently but um yeah i I think adding more murkiness and subjectivity to that's going to be very very hard to manage on a big scale 
if yeah. you could, if you could do away with any rule, what would it be? Besides squat depth for you, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, <laughs> you can get out of the rack. White lights. That's all I'm about. Um, what's one rule I'd get away? I'd do away with. I don't know that there is like one particular, I'm not a huge fan of big weight cuts, but I don't see a way to remove that without just it being a pain in the ass and people just exploiting the, the depths of whatever it is you're trying to do. Like if it's a two hour way in, people just cut slightly less weight. Yeah, they're um, less likely to kill themselves. Yeah, exactly. But, and that's like from a safety perspective, great. I'm, I'm all about that for sure. But I actually just think it's a, like it's a lot of effort to put into something that, you know, for most people doesn't actually matter. And yeah. it'd just be easier for everyone to just be he- as heavy as they want to be and lift heavy weights and all be strong instead of worrying about cutting things. Um, I guess if you took formulas out, then a lot of that sort of stuff would go away anyway. If you're just like, well, I'm uh, ballpark, that's fine. I don't think so because you'd still get people trying to maximize the size that they can carry into a weight class. Yeah. That's it's true. still a competition yeah. within the weight class itself. Um, I don't think many people cut deliberately for formula results as much as they do to fit into a weight class that they consider themselves to be competitive in. Yeah, that's and, fair. and if they do, they just don't know formulas. Like oftentimes if you're yeah, cutting for it, a formula, it makes it so, makes little, so difference. little difference. Exactly. Like you better invested actually just lifting heavier. Yeah. Um, especially if it cuts five kilos off your total, then yeah, it, yeah. it like legit makes a big difference in a negative direction. Um, so yeah, it, it'd probably be the, the weight cut thing, like being able to police that in a way that protects lifters and just dissuades new and novice lifters from doing dumb shit like the stuff I did in an attempt to cut weight in a very poorly educated way. Mm. Uh, what about you, Thomas? What would you do away with? My, my mind always goes to the 24-hour wake up thing as well. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't particularly know why because like, just like you, I'm, I'm sure like there's a big part of me that appreciates the skill required oh, to, yeah. to sit at, you know, 119 kilos of body weight and cut to 110 and then rehydrate and perform uh, the next day and, and refeed in, in 24 hours and still do well. I, I actually like the skill required. And if you've got the skill to do that fucking power to you, but at the same time, I, I just think it's a, a little bit of a joke. Like it's yeah. the, the thing that always stands out to me. Um, you can Google it. Every time I go to boss barbell, the, they've got a big photo of it up on the wall, but like the boss of bosses podium, I, I can't remember what year it was. Maybe boss of bosses two was Kevin Oak, Dan Green and Yuri Belkin. In yeah, the 125 kilo lifters competing at 110. Well, no, no, no. Well, Dan Green and Kevin Oak were gigantic. And there's like little Yuri Belkin on, on podium one and they're all in the same weight class. Like the, yeah. the size difference within one weight class can really be like not a gap of say if the weight class is 10 kilos wide can really be more like 30 kilos. Mm. Yeah, well, especially with the way people like Dan Green and, and those guys who do the like really incredibly cuts. extreme cuts. Uh, yeah, like uh, as you said, Thomas, I have a lot of respect for the skill and more importantly, to be honest, the willpower that goes into something like that. Because in powerlifting, which is ultimately like not that unpleasant when it comes to things, that's a really heinously unpleasant thing to have to do to yourself. Yeah. And it takes guts and determination on a level that I just don't have, nor do I really have any desire to have. But I think um, it would make the sport more entertaining from my point of view. Mm. Uh, I think you'd just be better able to um, 
to actually just focus on performance more than anything else. But um, a little bit more sellable as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, like to, I, to having to explain twenty four hour weight cuts, uh, twenty four hour weight classes to people who are unfamiliar with anything about a weight class sport is just a it's another layer of petty bullshit that needs to be added to the powerlifting list of petty bullshit. So we hop in a bath filled with salt and then we spit into a bottle for the next yeah, sixteen yeah, hours. Exactly. And uh, now, Sam, as a as a former semi recreational powerlifter. Uh, what, <laughs> what a what qualification! Would, what would be the one rule that you want to banish? I can't think of a rule per se, but as I mentioned on Instagram earlier, benches always kind of seem like an odd lift amongst the other two. <laughs> I but knew you'd say that. I don't know why. I just because I figure like a squat. It's just. I mean, obviously, it's in a rack, but other than that, like once you're out with it, it's just you and the bar. Like deadlifts, it's just you and the bar, and then bench is like. First of all, no one likes watching it. And then you just lie down and like push up, push against something. It's kind of like a upper body leg press maneuver. So I kind of feel like if that was like overhead press, then you'd just be like, I don't even really like overhead press. So I'm not, I'm not trying to sell anyone on that. But <laughs> it, just, it just seems like a, a more like a, like primitive version of bench, I guess. Like, what do you guys think about that? Sam's trying to make powerlifting into even more of a caveman-dominated yeah. sport. <laughs> well, I, I've always Push maintained. Push strong man. I've always maintained from day one that bench press is just a, an excuse to lie down between the real lifts, and that deadlifts are just the poor man's squat. Yeah, so I'm on team with that. <laughs> Part of me thinks there's just an emotional response because you're notoriously okay at squats and deadlifts, and not so great at bench press. This That's 100 percent the this reason I'm on that side too. <laughs> I. Uh, my bench is definitely sort of almost back up to the mediocrity that it once was um, after I've like raged to you guys like a few times over the past year about how rubbish it was. It's finally sort of pushing in that direction. But right now I'm trying to cut weight, speaking of cuts, um, <laughs> but not for any sort of competition otherwise. Exclusively other than, for vanity reasons. Yeah, ex- exclusively for true. vanity reasons. So yeah. I'm sure it's just going to dive on. <laughs> it's going to be the first thing to go once again. Honestly, the, the other thing I would change is um, uh, I'd do away with the two and a half kilo weight increment and I'd just make it whole kilos like uh, like the world powerlifting guys do. I think it's such a more interesting way to do things um, and easier. Like it's a pain in the ass to load for sure, uh, but it's easier to, again, like it, it makes it more approachable. Like that person with 330 three kilos it wouldn't if we did a a, like weightlifting loading like the the small plates on the outside of the the outside that would be ideal yeah because then i i don't know if you need then like a more of a groove in the bar sleeve like i know a lot of ollie bars have a sleeve that is slightly grooved i think to aid in that um stickiness yeah okay yeah interesting but i guess that powerlifting is a slower more uh sort of closer to stationary sport when you compare it to something like weightlifting anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the one kilo jumps for the sake of strategy and for mm. the sake of um, uh, lighter weight class or, or weaker people, you know, being able to take jumps that are more realistic percentage wise. Yeah, um, for sure. But I hate the, the notion of, uh, you know, an inexperienced spotter loader trying to figure out what place to put on the bar and it making comps because you'd think 30 seconds per lift yes, across mate. a comp of 45 lifters with nine lifts each. That's going to be a lot of time just figuring out bar plates. Yeah. But I think, uh, 
I think that trade-off would be that would actually only happen for if you've got a good team of spotters and loaders, you know, like with our guys, we use one kilo increments for novice comps. Um, and for exactly the reasons you said, like it, it's just allows, especially novice and, and new lifters. And often it's like lighter weight men or, or uh, smaller women who two and a half kilos represents like 10, 12% of their bench max. Uh, mm. That ends up being a lot. Uh, so yeah, it's it, it does slow things down a little bit, but with some practice and perhaps the Ollie setup, it would be better, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just on that, uh, the note of the rules and stuff, um, what's your take on all these, you know, like social media is blowing up at the moment with all these squats that are, you know, miles high and, and getting white lights and world records being broken in that regard and all that sort of thing. It's kind of like, we have a whole bunch of rules in place that don't seem to be um, followed in a lot of places anyway. It's like, what's more rules going to do if, if, if people just abandon them anyway? Like, how do you get a panel of three judges that are like, that squat is good, you know? <laughs> this is not a new phenomenon. No, no, no not at all. It's definitely not a new phenomenon, but it's also something that seems to have become more common in Australia because like Australia across the board from from a powerlifting point of view went through a a period where I think almost everyone had a respectable standard for things like squat depth and the judging standard was really high and it seems like as powerlifting has become more popular, there's been a very small but vocal minority of people who are more interested in their own egos than they are in the integrity of the sport. And that's put people in a position where they're either misinterpreting or willfully ignorant of the rules. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's hard to tell what, which of those two they are. Cause one of them is somewhat forgivable. One of them is an uh, argument for you being a person of low moral character. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I always feel terrible when the, the lifter has, you know, squatted, they obviously get white lights and then everyone online just goes and like attacks the shit out of them. It's like, well, they just did what, what they did. And so, you know, it's not, it's not like they're inherently an evil person because everyone's squatted higher, like in their life. It just so happens that that got passed. But I guess, I guess the, the thing for me is like looking back, just being honest with yourself and saying, yeah, you know, it was high, but like it was passed. So like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. Satan or anything. There's, there's definitely a blurry line there somewhere. There's definitely mm. a blurry line of like, okay, maybe it was questionable on depth, or maybe it was a questionable lockout, or or something like that. It it was on the edge. It could have gone either way. It was in the hands of like the split second decision of the judge, and they chose to give me give me a white light. I'm going to claim it. What mm. pisses me off is when it's overtly shit. Like that yeah. that uh, multiplied deadlift all time world record that was like three and three dips, n- not even close to being locked out, slammed down. And it's like, yeah. why the fuck would you proudly claim that when the lift was mm-hmm. clearly a piece of shit by every yeah. rule book under the sun? Like that is then on the lifter. That's when the lifter deserves some blame, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, especially if they just back like they back their attempt so hard as well. You know, I feel like if I did it and it passed but I could watch the video back. It's like, I have eyes. Like, wouldn't you just be like, yeah, that was a bit dicey, but you know, and I'm not the judge. But that's, the, I think the differentiating factor in where that line is uh, that you mentioned, Thomas, is some people go to comps, perform at their peak, are on the borderline and get favorable or, 
or unfavorable calls. And some people seek out particular competitions yes. or sets of judges or particular venues who are consistently across the board very lax. Mm. And that's when I have a problem with the lifters doing it. Like you are deliberately hunting out the most possible, uh, most lazy and lax possible interpretation of these rules so you can take advantage of it. Like I played 10 years of fucking rugby and it's not against the rules until you get caught. Uh, mm. And that's always been the way like things work on the field. It's like, you, you stand over the offside line until you get told to move back and then you move back and then you move forward again. Like you're always pushing for the boundaries of the rules. That's part of being a, uh, an athlete, I think, is pushing the boundaries of like what is legally part of the sport and what can you get away with. And then yeah. there is deliberately hunting the laziest possible interpretation of that so that you can stroke your own ego with a lift that if you actually, like you said, Sam, had eyes and perhaps some vestige of morals you would recognize was bullshit see yeah i i think i'm halfway with that i if i could i would actively seek out the most relaxed judging there is but if i squatted high or did a shitty bench or a deadlift or whatever i wouldn't claim it why because the only three people that are allowed to judge my lifts in my eyes are myself <laughs> uh, my best friend in the world buddy and the good lord jesus christ I was waiting for that. I knew that was coming. <laughs> it's a very Tupac-esque approach to your uh, your powerlifting career there, Thomas. That's correct. Yeah, it is funny the sort of like, I feel like powerlifters uh, are very kind of proud people. And like like you were saying, John, seeking out lax things, like to a bunch of us, that's kind of like, yeah, like, you know, you should want to be held to the highest standard possible. But it's funny how in like every other aspect of life, like if you can hit that desired income with like the least resistance possible. That's probably the, the route, the route you'll go down, you know, it's certainly a human nature thing, but um, yeah. Cause like now my bio says like world record holder and I can sell you program, you know, programs for 39.99. And, you know, there's, there's probably a whole lot that comes with just the fact they got that, you know, that title regardless of how good it was, I guess. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> It's, it is the problem that humans have egos and unfortunately yeah. that will consistently be a part of powerlifting forever. Yes. Yeah. Imagine that a, a sport full of like large muscular humans with lots often, of like, often with exogenous hormones. Yeah. Having egos. Who would have guessed? Yeah, I know. It's attracting it's, the, the insecure and the misfits and there's egos in it. Jesus. Yeah. I know. It's like you, you wouldn't believe it unless you saw it. <laughs> All right. I have no idea how long we've actually been talking at this point. Yeah, neither, because I don't have audacity going. Yeah, me neither. That's me neither. exclusively how I remember how long we've been talking. Are we going to talk about this having time off thing, or is our rambling bullshit enough for this episode? Um, All in. I, Give us your opinions, lifters. I reckon uh, we save the time off thing for next time, and we just keep talking about what we're talking about, because we've kind of made an episode out of this. Powerlifting. Uh, it's been good fun. If we're not calling this one powerlifting controversy all in all caps exclusively to clickbait the shit out of everyone, I'll be really upset. Do you know how pissed off everyone's going to be? No, no, it's going to be great. (laughs) Yeah, now now I feel like I need to tell more Wilkes and APU stories to actually sprinkle some spicy controversy on on top by the time everyone's gotten to this point and stopped listening because it wasn't controversial enough. Because it wasn't the controversy they wanted us to speak about. (laughs) So, did you know the brothel thing? (laughs) (laughs) Just sprinkle that on top there. Why not?
Well, speaking of Wilkes and Wilkes and uh, formulas, wasn't he going to design a new Wilkes formula at some point? Yeah, Who I thought he did. A, oh, it? he did do it? Uh, Wilkes 2.0. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I haven't looked at it though because, like I said earlier, formulas are just boring and a waste of time. I had the funniest conversation with someone yesterday about uh, um, I, I haven't been at an APU or an IPF meet in Australia for, you know, since I ran Oceanis in 2018. And I don't actually know what formula the IPF uses now. Like, is it, it's just IPF points, right? Yeah, I think so. So I, I'd reached out to someone uh, who. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to say their position. I'm not saying to say who they are because it'll throw them straight under the bus. I, I reached out to someone who should have known this. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, I just, I'm random question. I just need to know what do they use? And they're like, um, oh, it, yeah, they, they said something ambiguous. And I was like, oh, I was, I was hoping you could tell me because you're this position. And they're like, well, actually, I was hoping you were going to tell me. <laughs> like, Geez, look at us professional powerlifting coaches that don't know what the fuck we score our own game. It was on. Wilkes himself, wasn't it? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I do no. the same thing with comp dates all the time. People are like, when's the next comp? I don't know. Have you looked on the website? No? Oh, okay. Let me look on the website. Oh, oh yeah, cool. That's when it is. <laughs> oh, wait, it's down again. Yeah. Uh, no, that, not that website. My own website. Oh. Only goes down when I forget to pay my domain bill, which has <laughs> happened at least once. <laughs> yeah. Now the powerlifting rules thing is funny. One thing that's always thrown me off since I've been involved in APL. APL don't say uh, the bar is loaded. APL say platform ready. And so, like every time I'm in the head ref position, and I, I'm like, the bar is ready. The platform is loaded. Just fucking come out and lift your fucking weight. <laughs> <laughs> is like, why? What does it matter? What is actually said there? Yeah, I don't know. It's just like one of their things. That's weird. One of their things. Because it's like, yeah, again, it's it's one of those rules that doesn't matter. As long as the lifter who is coming up recognizes that it is now their turn and they're allowed onto the platform. Like, say fucking bananas for all I care. Mm. Anyway, I don't have many other rules to bitch about, to be honest. Yeah, the, the things that piss me off the most about powerlifting rules is, is how much parade area there are and how, how easy it is to misinterpret things like deadlift lockout. You know, there's, no, there's no rule about, uh, about you know, needing to show that you're not losing grip. I, I think I've complained about this one recently. That one pisses me off. The ambiguity and like the bar lean on something like a bench press, the fact that there is no, no standard for uneven extension. It's just like in the eye of the beholder which just kind of, you know, relies on them being level-headed, literally. What if they're a little bit crooked with their head? Are they going to call everyone red light because of barley? Like, it's it's just one of these ambiguous, you know, we, we, powerlifters historically have prided themselves on like, oh, we're objective. It's just up or down and you either get it or you don't. Not like bodybuilding pageants, which is all subjective in a beauty show. It's like some of, some of powerlifting is actually a beauty show. Uh, so, it, so, it would look better if we all had to wear G-strings. I was going to say, well, <laughs> me and John in a Enza soft suit, one size too small would definitely be a beauty show. One size? Try four. <laughs> I'm going to squeeze my way into a medium. Here, here's a question. How come you're allowed to wear knee sleeves but not elbow sleeves? Because elbow sleeves is cheating, Sam. Obviously. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Elbow sleeves are scientifically proven to improve every aspect of your lifting. I actually started wearing elbow sleeves lately because I'm like, that's it. That's the thing thing that's stopping me from benching good. Um, You only wear them for curls because that's the only time I wear elbow sleeves. 
Actually, that's not a bad idea. Does it help your elbows at all? No, not at all. I don't wear elbow sleeves at all, Sam. Okay. I've <laughs> fallen for the classic blunder. It yeah. is a good question, though, because there's, there's certainly no reason why you, you shouldn't compared to knee sleeves, you know. What's the difference? <laughs> well, I think it's because, like, knee wraps have become, like, knee coverings have been a thing in lifting for a long time. The thing with elbows, uh, with knee sleeves, sorry, elbow sleeves, that especially on the bench press, uh, can really hide lane, like a, an yeah. actually very soft lockout in a way that doesn't affect squats in quite the same way. Like you can, yeah. I think, I think a partially unlocked knee in a squat is easier to spot in a pair of sleeves than a partially unlocked bench press lockout in elbow sleeves. It's so that's, interesting though, because like we reverse engineer this justification. Like I wonder the, the first guys that were and girls who are sitting down and writing these rules out, if they were taking that sort of stuff into consideration. Mm. Yeah, it would be interesting to know the actual uh, reasoning behind it, but that's that's what I would consider to be. It. Yeah. I don't understand why I'm not allowed to wear them like squatting. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but that's the thing. Like in GPC, you can wear them in equipped squatting, but not in raw squatting. Or you could. I don't know if that's changed, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh shit, what was I about to say? It was really insightful and really wise, and probably the best thing ever said exactly on the podcast. Like, yeah, it sounds exactly like something you would say, Thomas. Yeah, it's gone completely. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Uh, like I get asked all of the time, like why do, why do the plates face in in powerlifting? And my answer is always something to do with advertising. I'm pretty sure yeah. it was to just show off, you know, the brand, yeah, yeah. the sponsor that, that they were using for the things. And now it's just become the thing. Yeah. Um, I heard it's because they're easy to like easier to grab or something. Then why wouldn't you put um, all of them facing inside there? Yeah, that is a good good question. Yeah. Uh, that, there goes that theory. I think that's what happens with the like classic uh, pressed steel plates that have like a really definitive lip. I think yeah, that's yeah. where that idea came from is that they are easier to grab that way. Uh, but I'm with you, Thomas. I always explain it as an advertising thing um, because it makes sense. Like put more of your logos in photos and videos and stuff. I've always wondered how many lifters or meats have cheated over the years by painting uh, 20s red or like using the chrome-coated plates and just slipping a few 20s in the middle of 25s? To clarify, you're not already doing that because I've been doing that since the start. <laughs> I actually only ever bought one pair of 25s. The rest are just 20s with red paint. Like it would be very easy to just, you know, slip them in there without any... Yeah, but it would also be very easy to like just slip a folded up knee wrap under your bench shirt and just, you know, get away with the world record bench. So that Did one you could... Can we ever talk about the the knees the knee wraps under the sleeves video that that, that was amazing recently? That that was fucking hilarious. It's not quite the I've heard stories of people like knee wrapping a tennis ball behind their knees <laughs> to like give them more give bounce coming out, which sounds like an excellent way to fucking blow a kneecap across. Oh the yeah, that sounds fucking horrible. I just think how much true assistance could a tennis ball even give you versus like a super <laughs> super super tight knee wrap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I. I question the relevance of that as well. The knee sleeves under the knee wraps thing just sounds like you were too soft to actually cope with the feeling of knee wraps on your knees. And no, knee, knee like sleeves over wraps. knee wraps. Oh, it was over knee wraps, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. He concealed it under. Yeah. I don't know how you think you get away with that. Yeah. It's the, the goofy wrap walk gives it yeah. dead away. Um, remember that chick that uh, wore briefs under a soft suit at like IPF Worlds or whatever? Yeah, I do remember that. I've seen that, like that sort of stuff done before. It's just fucking stupid. 
Hmm. I don't know. What do you mean you've I'd, seen it done? You've been to a meet where someone actually cheated. No, no, like I've I've seen videos like that and those hmm. sort of things. I just all of it just seems like a fucking like if you'd spent two thirds the effort on actually just like being less shit at the sport as you had on finding ways to cheat. You would have just come out of this in the same position or better and not had your reputation sullied by the fact that you're a cheaty bag of cunts. It's very, it's very strange to me. It's like, even if, even if you didn't get caught, like knowing that in your head, how would you ever be happy with the fact you got white lighted, like doing something like that? Yeah. I mean, I kind of have that attitude for all sports, you know, whether it's like the cricket team and the sandpaper or I don't know, it just seems really lame to me. Yeah, like, the, I totally agree. Yeah, the satisfaction of going home and being like, I outlifted everyone in that competition. <laughs> I Raw. am the best cheat ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's why I've always, I've never understood, especially in a sport like powerlifting, why you would choose to use performance enhancing drugs and compete in a tested federation. Like, I just don't see the point mm-hmm. because the option exists to do it otherwise. Like in things like track and field and the Olympic sports, yeah. I, I can understand drug cheating. Like I don't condone it. I think it's against the rules and you shouldn't get away with it. But uh, in powerlifting, the the option exists to get away with it and not have to worry about it. Mm. Wouldn't it just be like less stressful not to have to deal with the fact that you were trying to hide the fact that you're 15 and of deep into your natural prep? For sure. Do you, do you think it's like it's for people that are on like PED light? It's like they're not they're not like on enough shit to actually do well in yeah. a in like a full geared up federation, but they're they obviously want that accolade, I guess. Yeah, but it's stupid. I don't understand it. Yeah, weird mindset. I feel like we're just rambling at this point. We, we, we definitely should prob- are. We should probably just end this podcast at some point because otherwise people are just going to stop listening to us forever. All right. Thanks for coming, Sam. Yes, thank you. See you. Bye. Boom. Done.